This is the last of the sessions from the Sanctification Through Suffering Conference that we had recently in New Jersey with Justin Peters, Frank Mullis as the keynotes. And they're going to do a Q&A from the questions that we had. Q&As are always great because the Q&A, you get to learn a little bit more about the speakers. They're a little bit more lighthearted and a little bit more personal, not just preaching. So I hope that you will enjoy the Q&A. It was from several months ago, from the time it's airing now, and actually, by the time this airs, I've already come back from the Philippines. This will be when I return, So, but we will let you know that we mentioned in there about the, the funding. The Philippines trip cost us the two ministries together, a, Justin Peters Ministry and Striving Fraternity, cost us about $4,800 for the combined, $2,400 each, and I know for Striving Fraternity, we have only raised a third of that so far. So if you could help, that would be great. You go to strivingfraternity.org slash donate. We greatly appreciate that. Welcome to the Rap Report with Andrew Rappaport, where we provide biblical interpretations and applications. This is a ministry of striving for eternity. For more content or to request a speaker or seminar for your church, go to strivingforeternity.org. So this is usually a fun time. This is where you get to see some of the speakers kind of more. Um, usually they give more. Uh, uh, you get to see a little bit more of themselves, not just uh, being so serious behind a pulpit. But this one maybe this might be different with some of the questions we have. So I'm going to I'll start off. Uh, well, OK, I guess I was going to say I'll start off with something light, but this one's not. <laughs> OK, so <clears throat> looking at some of these questions, the first one um how do you help someone who is in an abusive marriage, specifically emotional abuse? Go ahead. <laughs> help someone who's in an emotionally abusive marriage. Well, you know, fact of the matter is the Bible only gives um, one reason for divorce, and that is sexual infidelity on the part of the other partner, uh, the other spouse in a marriage. Uh, I would never counsel a woman to live in under the same roof with a, a man who is abusing her physically. Uh, I think she is under no obligation to stay in, an, in a physically abusive situation. She can move and get live somewhere else uh, without divorcing. Uh, chances are the husband will probably uh, divorce her when she does that, but uh, emotionally abusive is not a reason for divorce. Um, gosh, get her in touch, uh, put her in, in contact with some godly ladies in the church that can uh, support her and encourage her, um, uh, and she has to, to persevere. Of course, I guess, you you know, what what exactly is meant by emotional abuse? I don't, I don't know. I mean, that's kind of a broad... Um, it would depend on the severity of it, but uh, it's not a reason for divorce. But uh, she would have as best she can. Um, she would encourage her to be willing to forgive her husband if he repents. If he does not, uh, she has to remain in the in the marriage covenant. <coughs> 
But I, I guess the the severity of the abuse and the kind of abuse you're talking about would would determine whether or not she should stay in the in the same roof, you know, under the same roof. I, so I guess it would depend on how severe it is. Um, I'm I'm more strict in my view of of divorce. Um, I think that the case uh, with Jesus says, uh, I think the Greek text says, even in the case hmm. of sexual adultery. Um, so I, I'm even more strict in it. However, you know, Paul gives the out if the unbelieving spouse abandons I would, that route. But it's, uh, the, the question is emotional abuse. I would, I would argue they don't have to stay in it emotionally or physically in the, in the house. And th- this, of course, if, if they're believers and we're, we're talking church discipline, you know, church discipline is one of the ways in which uh, the church cleans up its house, you know, in that and follow the Matthew 18 principle. If she goes to the pastor, uh, there's, a, there's a question in the back there as a follow-up, I guess. Yeah, let me just repeat that so we have it. The, so it's, it's the, the issue of the abuse is just a controlling behavior, uh, moving them out of a church that's local to a church an hour away, and uh, just doing more and more to, to try to control and not allow her to, to be out of the house during the day, things like that, right? So, okay. So you're, you're looking on how to, how to help them with a, a first grader who's having symptoms of ulcers and things like that as well. That, yeah. Well, when the, when, the, when, the church, you know, when the church can intervene, the, the state intervenes often in those situations. And I would encourage her to find a safe place. Away. You know, again, we're not talking divorce. We're talking separation. You know, the world's going to say, hey, leave him, run away, divorce him, and, 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 and things of that nature. Uh, if the church can't, the church can't be involved, the state often gets involved, especially when children are involved, and they kind of go from there. Yeah, just, I don't want to, the only thing I don't want to do is, oh, we have a ton right. of questions right. I don't want to take, because I right. know you took it from. Um, I'll just repeat the question. Okay, basically he's wanting uh, borderline personality disorder. There's, there's different categories of personality disorder. Most of us know narcissistic, right? You know that one, histrionic. Borderline is one. Uh, it's more predominant in women. <laughs> so, I'm just um, um, you just go there? But I do have clients. I, I do have male clients who have borderline, and borderline is extreme fluctuations in love and hate. That's really the probably the best way to describe it. One minute you're their best friend, and the next minute you're their hated enemy. And they they don't deal well with um, any type of negative uh, comments. That's one. Um, one of the signs and symptoms that I, I use to recognize is the cutting, and you'll, you'll see a lot of cutting in uh, in borderlines. So that's one of the quick ways. And you know, you do have emotional cutters, uh, but uh, borderline, you'll, you'll see the cutting or self abuse, a lot of uh, suicide attempts. So. That's, that's the best way I kind of describe borderline. It's not my expertise. Um, there are specific therapies that have been developed for um, uh, borderline. But th- that's, that's the way I kind of look at it. I mean, that's, again, it's not my expertise, but I have clients who deal with that, and I'm always very cautious with them because they can be uh, kind of scary. Okay, and, and what we'll do, just so you know, you know if we're going to try to answer the questions here. If you have further follow-up and all, we're going to try to still be here for a bit afterwards. So, um, you know, if, if we don't answer it well enough. Um, <clears throat> so h- how does a Christian recover from a serious, uh, fr- from a, I think it's serious situation, or uh, a sin or situation that a Christian should not have, uh, not have gone through? 
divorce, bankruptcy, moral sin. So it's basically, I think it's more, how, how does someone recover from situations of sin and uh, that were not their fault, it looks like? Or even... That were not, at, or, or what about fault? I'm guessing that it says that they, because it says uh, a Christian should not have gone through. So I was thinking it's going through a situation where it wasn't dealing with sin or situation of someone else that you have to, that you end up recovering from. Or it could be that uh, sin that Christians shouldn't have done, but they did it, and now they're kind of ostracized from the church. I think that was kind of where the question is. I would rather okay. just to start off. <laughs> was that? I'm noticing a trend. You oh. want to let Justin? <laughs> no, no. It's... Okay, so how do I recover from a sin that, as a Christian, I should not have done, or someone yeah, yeah, else? Yeah, or either or. I mean, either how do you or? recover from a serious sin or an embarrassing sin, one on the family and so forth, that um, okay. you should not have been involved in? Okay. Well, if it's uh, okay, if it's a okay, so if it's a sin of someone that someone else committed that's close to me, I, I guess forgiveness. Uh, if that person, if you have reason to believe that person is not a believer, give them the gospel. Uh, but you have to, you have to forgive. If it's a sin that you have committed as a believer, of course it's a little bit redundant because no sin we should commit as believers. But, but if it's some, I mean, some really egregious, acute, you know, uh, 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 disqualifying type sin, uh, you repent. I mean, you repent. That's. That's what you do. You repent. Uh, uh, if you have harmed someone else in your sin, you go to that person and you confess it and you ask for his or her forgiveness. Uh, but you go to the Lord and you confess your sin, First John 1, 9. Uh, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That verse is usually taken as an evangelistic verse. It's not really an evangelistic verse. That verse... That was written to believers. So uh, you go to the Lord, you confess, and you repent. And uh, as I said, if you've wronged someone else, you do your best to make it right by that person. Um, but you you simply repent and and go forward. Uh, I've been asked a few times, Justin, what do you think about twelve step programs? You know, like celebrate recovery and blah blah blah. Uh, I don't think much of them. There there aren't I was twelve. Say, that steps. was the answer when you said blah blah blah. We yeah <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there aren't 12 steps. There's one step. <coughs> Repent. Repent. That's the step. So. <laughs> I'm glad that I'm glad there's such gray areas with you. <laughs> stop, and, being, stop being so judgmental. Right. And if you have truly repented, that there will be fruit in keeping with that. Um, if you have wronged someone, then then you you need to have Zacchaeus kind of repentance. You go and you make it right. But um, but there's just one step, repent. The church should not make it difficult for a repentive person to return to the fold. That's right. I mean, that's the purpose of church discipline is to perform the church discipline for the person to repent. And if they repent, they're restored. And then if we hold, if we hold it against them, then we're not the church that we're supposed to be. And in my, I have uh, clients who... Uh, were saved after they were registered sex offenders. And they have churches that do not accept them, and they send them on their way. I understand the caution that's there, uh, but I found churches with sex offenders, I'll just use that, um, two extremes. Come on in. Welcome. <laughs> that's one extreme. <laughs> that's not good. Um, then we have the other one, 
we're going to have you arrested if you set foot on our property again. So that's the other extreme. So, uh, you know, I, I think if you, if you see a true sign of repentance and there is restoration, that's the, the purpose of the church. Search for once one of you, I think that was the. Hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. Such were some of you. First Corinthians 6. Yeah. Such were some of you. Yeah. And, and just as a tag along, I don't know at all that that was in, that this is in view in that question, but if you are a minister of some sort and you have a, a moral failure, moral sin, uh, you're DQ'd. You are DQ'd from ministry. Doesn't mean, doesn't mean you're not saved. If you repent, uh, you, you can be a member of a church, but you're DQ'd. You're disqualified from preaching. You, you fail morally. You are no longer above reproach. Um, you should never step foot in the pulpit again. No, no, we'll do, we'll do that. Yeah, I don't, cause otherwise we, it's, it's, there's a lot of different reasons why we won't do follow. Yeah, just that we'll do that after. Yeah. Um, no, you, you mentioned son, so I'll change the order. I was going to do it and ask you this one. Um, not that I'm familiar with this program, but do programs like grief share help with people suffering from loss? I don't know if you're even familiar. I am I'm not, familiar. not, I've heard of it, but I'm not familiar. So are you familiar I, I with that, Frank? No, I, I, look, I think, I think groups that, People can sit down and help one another. I, I don't see issues with that. I've got a whole paper on the 12-step program um, that if you'd like to know the history of the 12-step programs, I'll would gladly uh, send that to you. Um, but, um, you know, you just have to be careful of anything that flows outside of Scripture when they offer help if you're a Christian, you know. Okay. Um <clears throat> What do you do as a Christian when your mind fails you, when there is so much torment and pain that there seems to be no way out? All right. One more time. Okay. What do you do as a Christian when your mind fails you? So that's one question. And then uh, when there is so much torment and pain that there seems no way out, I guess is the follow-up to that question. So the fir- first part is your mind fails you. I guess you have to define that. So referring you mental illness. Um, yeah, so if it's mental illness, then, you know, seek help, yeah. right? I mean, right. But I will, look, we have to understand the brain gets sick. It's an organ. Your brain can get sick and it, it needs to recover and needs help. I mean, that's, that's it. Just like your heart, you know, if you have a heart attack, you need to see someone. If your brain gets sick and it can for various reasons, um, or, or whether it's organic, I mean, a, a true physical, um, you know, and there, there are, Obviously, diseases that can affect the brain that we don't even know about. Um, you know, Robin Williams' suicide was, um, he was affected by some disease that I'd never even heard of until after the fact. Uh, and his brain was eat up with these, um, like plaque-like things. Um, so, uh, there, there are organic things that happen. That's why physical MRIs exist, CAT scans exist now. And so I would, I would recommend that. And then to the second part, what was it? The second part is uh, when there's so much pain and torment that you f- it feels like there's no way out. Again, don't trust your feelings. Be Spock. <laughs> okay, so that's a that's a Star Trek reference. Yeah, that, I thought he was going to go Star Trek. And uh, yes, as a nerd, yes, I watch Star Trek. Logic. You know, look, our thinking. Don't trust your feelings first. Trust what you know. Know the scriptures. Right. Go back to the scriptures and keep seeking the scriptures over and over again until the scripture changes the way you feel. Yeah, I don't really know what I could add to that. I, I, um, 
let the word of Christ dwell richly within you. And the more it dwells richly within you, the more your mind will be transformed uh, and transformed and conformed into the image of Christ. So, and and um, seek the fellowship of the saints. Yes. Seek the fellowship of the saints. And the reason Spock was only half Vulcan is because he wasn't going to be able to pull off no emotion at all. All right. Uh, what is the right approach to deal with a Christian with an, an active suicide idealism? I think I, ideation uh, who has a plan. And I guess this goes back to what you were saying with with James. Yes, um, I'm <coughs> I'm mandated as a as a licensed professional counselor. I'm mandated. So I have to, in Florida, is Florida is called the Baker Act. Georgia has something else, but uh, it's it is uh, if someone comes to me and I believe it's a legitimate threat of suicide, I call law enforcement and have them locked up. I have that power. And Maryland, I think yeah. they might take you to the yeah. yeah. Well, not only as a as a counselor, but also as a pastor. Right, you're you're. I, I don't. Georgia's weird. Yes, I know. And the people Georgia's, that come from there yes, too. Yes, they are. Georgia's Georgia is strange. Um, I, I don't. Florida. Just a couple of years ago, uh, Georgia. Just speaking of mandated reporters, Georgia only used to not even require pastors to be mandated reporters, and they just added only if it's the victim who tells you. So if a perpetrator tells you that uh, they have abused someone, you are not mandated to report in Georgia. But if the victim is, and that, that's, yeah. It's bizarre. It's bizarre, yes. <laughs> okay, well, just Georgia's going weird. No, it was always weird. Did you want to answer that one or no? Yeah, no, I would just say if, if the person, if you think the person is some in uh, immediate danger of actually killing themselves, <laughs> yeah, call law enforcement first, get them physically safe. And then, as you have opportunity, give them the gospel. Uh, anything less than the gospel is just a Band-Aid on a gunshot wound. Uh, it's not going to do them any lasting good. With, Only the gospel will. With James, until he promised me that he wasn't going to I was going to have him. He wouldn't tell me where he was. That was the difficult part. He wouldn't tell me where it was. But I would have I'd have tracked him down even if I had to call law enforcement and have them run something on him till till I found him. I mean, I, I wasn't going to because he was. It was a legitimate threat of suicide. And I guess this kind of follows up with something you said earlier, Justin. But uh, tips on fellowship. What if you don't have friends in Christ? Because you had you had mentioned you know the fellowship on the previous question. So what this one's more. If, what if you don't have friends that are in Christ? What do you do for fellowship? Yeah. It, <coughs> Well, I don't know. Implied in that, does that mean you don't have a church that you go to? Because if you have a church, you should you should have that. Uh, uh, not all churches are very friendly. Yeah. <laughs> no. Obviously, but, not your church. I've been there, but uh, other churches. Right. Right. <laughs> Probably in Georgia. You need to work on your evangelism skills a whole lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, true. Uh, of course, I would say if, if you're if you're a member of a good doctrinally sound church doesn't have to be a perfect one there's no such thing as a perfect church but if you're a member of a good doctrinally sound church you you shouldn't be an island i mean that's the that's one of the primary functions of the local body is to provide fellowship and encouragement edification and correction when it's necessary so uh if you're a member of a church you shouldn't have that problem but um if you if they're just 
absolutely is no church. I mean, if there's not a good doctrinally sound church within 200 miles of you or something, you just cannot, there just isn't one, which I wouldn't think would be the case, but, uh, I don't, I don't know. I mean, you've got to it, you feed yourself with God's word on your own, listen to good sound preaching and teaching, um, make some contact somehow with some people in, in other churches. Uh, if you if there's just absolutely not a church anywhere near you that you can go to, but again, even that, I have a hard time believing that, that, uh, especially in a area this densely populated, that that would be a, a problem. Uh, I know not, I know good churches aren't on every corner. I get that, but uh, but you should be able to find one. And and I tell people too because I get emails a lot. Well, Justin, there's not a good church in my area. What do I do? Find one, no matter how far away it is. Uh, it's don't go to a bad church. Don't do that. Don't think you're going to be a voice of truth and you're going to change. You're going to be this little island of truth in an otherwise bad church, and you stay there and you're trying to help people. Get out of there. Don't go to a bad church. Um, no matter how far you have to go, find a good one. And even if you can only go once or twice a month because it's so far away, better to go to a good church once or twice a month than a bad church every week. So if if that's the situation, contact the church. Let them know, hey, I live 150 miles away. I can't come every week, uh, but I'll try to come once a month. And um you know, make the best of a bad situation. Most churches they have their sermons online, and you can you can keep up even when you can't go. So better to go to a good church once or twice a month than a bad one every week. So you're saying I shouldn't stay in the Catholic Church to be a light? Negative. <laughs> get out of Dodge. No, get out. I'm yeah. Facebook Live, 11 a.m. every Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's not going to help the fellowship part of that question. Uh, you know, Justin, let me, just because I, I'm familiar with your church, um, maybe you could speak to, you, you actually have a member that goes to your church that comes from another state yeah. that drives, I think it was two hours one way, yeah. two or three hours yeah, one way, and they're a, there at church three times a week? I'd say it's a good hour and a half, yeah. Is it an hour and a half? Mm. Okay. And Kathy and I, when Kathy and I lived in Oklahoma, we drove 106 miles one way to church every Sunday that I wasn't preaching myself somewhere. Uh, to go to a good church, and we made that drive every week. You know that I wasn't there, so it's having a good church is that important. It's that important. So, you want to add anything to that? All right. Um, look at him spying on the questions. I already know. I already know one of the questions. If he didn't write it, he had Brian write it for him. I know it. <clears throat> All right. This one. Um, this one may be more up your alley, though, Frank. Can you speak more on the state of Christian counseling today and where the trends are heading? <coughs> you have to actually pick up the mic to yeah, speak, Frank. I've, you told me, let me think about that for a second, for 10 minutes. I have been on both sides of the table. I've been in secular field. I have been in the current program I'm in now that's uh, a blended program, and I have been in the the biblical counseling realm there the biblical counseling was a backlash against christian psychology now the blended movement is a backlash against the biblical counseling so it is swinging back and forth my my biggest uh my biggest fear uh is that christian counselors are buying into secular models and i see that uh but i i really say i've seen that seen that a whole lot the problem is that a lot of the biblical counseling programs 
don't address the psychological models correctly. And, and what I mean by that, there is some truth in the secular counseling models, but, you know, Satan had some truth too. <laughs> so my, my leaning today is that Christian counseling has to deal with deal with the secular model because most people that go look for a counselor, there's no biblical counselors in their community. In, in the community I'm in, about 18,000 people, there is one um, Christian counseling uh, center that I would not even be a part of. They asked me, I was like, no. It would have been like that light in the Catholic world. Um, I was like, no. Um, the... Uh, the head of the counseling program, um, the reverend, she she um, she um, mentioned that we weren't there to proselytize, and so as soon as she said that, I'm like, okay, I'm not going to be part of this. So there are some secular counselors that I would recommend over them. Um, I I just I don't have time. I don't spend a whole lot of time doing it. But in in communities that are much larger. I would seek a strong biblical counselor. The The problem is, is that there's very few. Uh, I, pastors, they don't want to counsel. That's just the plain truth of it. Most pastors don't have time to counsel. They don't want to do it. There's a lot of topics that come up they don't want to deal with. And a lot of the parishioners, they don't want the pastor uh, looking at them funny on Sunday morning after they come and confess something to them. So that's kind of how I feel about the state. There does need to be some churches that uh, step up and, and create a biblical counseling program within their church. And so that's kind of my, my take on it. Justin, what do you have in your community? Does your church have a biblical counseling program? Or? No, we don't. Well, let me, let me ask you this as a follow-up to that on my own with what you said. When you said you have a reverend and she, um, <clears throat> do you think that a, a female who claims to be a pastor could do biblical counseling? No. I read this tweet. Uh, I read this tweet that somebody put out, uh, something like that. Uh, I think it's an oxymoron. Uh, n- no. You didn't want to say what the tweet was. That's good. Can I? Were you going to say something else? No. Go ahead. I was just going to say, you know, since talking about that, opened up that can of worms. When it comes to ladies like Joyce Meyer and Beth Moore, who <coughs> openly teach men and they make no apologies about it, if if you can't be if a woman cannot be trusted to be faithful to biblical parameters on that issue then why listen to anything else she has to say why listen to anything else she has to say so anyway and that would go for a man too who believes that a woman can fulfill those roles and I wouldn't care to have listen to anything he has to say either so i think frank's referring to a tweet that i put out that got me in a little bit of hot water I had tweeted that if you're good, if you go to a place where you have a woman that says she's a pastor, or if you go to a church that says a woman with a woman as a pastor, it's not a church and she's not a pastor. Got in a little bit of heat for that. <clears throat> Glad you agree with that, Justin. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's uh, yeah. Um, you're always safe if you're if Justin's agreeing with you. Um, that's kind of the market, you know. You have scripture and then Justin, right? No. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, what does or should Christian counseling look like from a Reformed perspective? You're Reformed. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. But go, I'm not an expert on Christian counseling so, and all the ins and outs of this. So. And Frank's not an expert on Reformed, so it's... Uh, no. It's, oh. my, uh, <laughs> one of my uh, good friends, uh, Rob Thurman, who's uh, president of Brooks Bible College, he's uh, at Master's in their doctoral program. He's... Um, 
you'll go to him for counseling and he will counsel you not about your problem. No, no joke. He hands you a book and says, we're going to do discipleship. And the problem they had after months of discipleship suddenly went away. <coughs> so what does it look like? It, it looks very much like a restorative, repentive, as I think all those words, repentive, restorative. But most of the time, our problems are bad theology. And that's what, what I think when we talk about biblical counseling is, is that the reason you have that problem is that you really didn't understand what the Bible said about your problem to start with. You know, I'm not saying that there aren't, again, mental illness. I deal, look, I'm, I'm going to court because of a schizophrenic at the end of the month. So trust me, there's certain things that are real. I know they're, at least from my personal experience, there are mental illnesses that are quite real. Um, family members, I, I know they're quite real. Um, so what I, what I will say is, is that biblical counseling, um, there has to be an understanding of some of the secular issues. There has to, there has to be, uh, because they're there and that's what people understand. But the number one reason that medications and diagnoses occur is because of insurance companies get involved. Most people cannot afford counseling. The average counseling session without insurance is about 100 to 150 an hour. Uh, with that, it's about 45 up to 75 for a specialist is what my insurance company is. So counseling is very expensive. So most people either go to the church or if they have insurance, they may go to a counselor. And if they're, they have a, a good amount of money, they're able to afford a good counselor. So what does good reform counseling look like? It, it's, it may be just you <coughs> sitting down with someone who's got a problem and discipling them. And I, I was just trying to look up real quick. Uh, there's a pastor out in uh, Boise area in, uh, that uh, Chad Pridmore, you can look him up on Facebook. Uh, he's very much against AA. He was, I think, 20 years in AA um, and believes that it was wrong. He's very much against the, um, what's the, the, uh, recovery. What's celebrate the one that? Celebrate recovery. Re- celebrate recovery. What, what he actually does is he goes through, uh, the Heidelberg Confession with folks. Just goes through doctrine. Um, I, I, folks here may be familiar with America's Keswick. It's not too far from here. I used to be a counselor down there. Um, we used to have guys that come out and they have a mandatory program when they come out that they must meet with someone for eight months with the pastor for, for eight months for an hour. And if they're married, it's the husband and wife. <clears throat> and basically, if you are required to meet, what are you going to do all week? You want to think about what you're going to discuss. My wife and I basically just said, well, we're just going to have you guys over for dinner. And the wife was like, oh, Pastor Andrew, that, that's not going to work. Like, You don't know my husband. He needs to be dis-. I'm like, look, just come over for dinner. When issues come up, we'll deal with them. I think there's only maybe three or four times in, and we actually continued it for two years. And I think there's only three or four times we actually had an issue of, that required counseling. And they ended up saying they, they learned a whole lot more. Just watch, look, you come home from work. I know none of you guys ever experienced this, but I would. Come home from work after a day of work and you come home to sit down with meal and the kids are acting up. I know you never deal with those frustrations, but they got to watch me deal with it. They learned more just watching me have to deal with kids throwing food or spilling milk or whatever. Okay when you're frustrated, right? And so that's the thing, like Frank was saying with his friend Rob Thurman, you don't have to actually deal with the counseling as much as the discipleship. It's amazing how really all we did was talk about different things going on in the church, and it gave a different, it just redirects it, right? If I ask all of you, this is how I do all the time, if I asked all of you to think of the number seven for 30 seconds, what do you think you're going to think of? 
Okay. If I asked you for two minutes not to think of the number seven, what are you going to do? Yeah, you're either going to think not seven, not seven, not seven, not seven, which is, it's like the people that say, I'm not going to drink, I'm not going to drink, I'm not going to drink. What are they thinking all the time? Drinking. Uh, I'm not going to smoke, I'm not going to smoke, I'm not, they're thinking of smoking, right? The, it's the replay, the way you're not going to think about seven is to think about five, 21, 17, you know, something. Think of something else, and that's what discipleship does. It, it they start and go, oh, I haven't even thought about that. So I'm going to read this one as as it is. May, may I throw something real quick? Uh, I don't know if I want you throwing anything. Um, He's been talking about yelling at him, like holler at me. When you... We'll holler. Um, Bless your heart. <laughs> when we come across people who have problems, don't look at where they are now. Look at what they were in the past. Where they are now may be better than the way they were in the past, and we see a process of getting better and maybe even a a process of sanctification. Someone said something about uh, my men's Sunday school class. He goes, man, your men's Sunday school class needs a lot of work. And I was like, you should have been here a year ago. And, and, and that's my point is you may come across someone who's come to you with a problem. It may have gotten worse. Find out what their past behavior looked like. It may have gotten worse or it may be better. It may look bad to you, right? Um, now if it's murder, it, it doesn't matter how many people they're murdering now. They should stop it immediately. Um, <laughs> but, but if, if it's drinking or, or drug use or, or, you know, pornography, whatever it is that you're, you're dealing with, where are they now versus where they were six months, a year ago? Are we seeing a progress where the behavior is diminishing or increasing? And that should let you know how much help they really need. I mean, sometimes they need inpatient treatment uh, or maybe they are able to keep working on their own let me throw this out and maybe you could respond to this i find with with counseling people one of the you're talking about the past one of the questions i typically ask especially people who have a drug and alcohol background of addiction is to ask when they started those things because i find that their problem solving skills stopped at whatever age they started giving into the addiction, yes. I find that that ends up being where I have to go back to that age and start from there. Do you? Yeah, that's give called. That? I call that social stunted, socially stunted. <clears throat> Most people, uh, when they became a drug or a drug addict or an alcoholic, that tends to be the age in which they are emotionally. So you will deal with someone at an emotional level uh, that's 30 years old. In actuality, their behavior is that of a 15-year-old. That's why you're having a tough time dealing with them on an adult level is that you have to help them emotionally grow up. A lot of the people I I grew up with, they have very little adult skills. So we spend a lot of time, believe it or not, I spend a lot of time talking about you need to get a checking account. You need to get life insurance. You need to get health insurance. You know, you, you need to understand that you need to go to work every day, not just when you feel like it. Uh, and, so, and these aren't just millennials. Uh, no. no. <laughs> these, these, uh, these, are, these are some people in their 40s and 50s. I mean, so, the, is, yeah, socially, I call, I call it social. I don't know. Maybe there's probably more of a better word, but I, I believe it's like socially stunted. I've seen that. Um, and, you know, to be honest, like you probably came to that on your own. I came to realize that on and then I've read up on it. And, you know, it's a real phenomenon, yeah. Um, so this question is that why you're 12? Uh, you would 12 be the right age for me, or is it lower than that? Um, I'm looking for support there. She's just smiling and laughing. So what is it? I'll let you read into that. What you want? No. <laughs> if you if you're ever bored in prayer, you want you know. There's a wonderful girl back there you could pray for. She puts up with insanity. Um, a husband that doesn't sleep. So yeah. Okay. 
So it says, suffering equals shame. I have found that when feelings of shame are upon me, I am much more likely to indulge in, quote, less than, unquote, escape behaviors. Fear equals shame, correct? Read, read the first part of that question again. I have found that when feelings of shame are upon me, I am much more likely to indulge in less than escape behaviors. I'm not sure what less than escape behaviors are. Well, um, if you're in Christ, if you're regenerate uh, and dwelt by the Holy <coughs> Spirit, then there should not be any shame. There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Uh, so if you're in Christ, you're a new creature. Old things have passed away. All things made new. You become a partaker of the divine nature. It doesn't mean that you're sinless, uh, but there should be an increasing pattern of sanctification over time in your life. So I'm not sure exactly what's meant by shame. Uh, now, if you're talking about if you, not if, but when you sin, you feel shame over that sin, uh, well, that's a good thing. Uh, that's good. Uh, that's one of the hallmarks of a believer, in fact, is that we have what Paul describes as a godly sorrow over sin, Second Corinthians chapter 7. A godly sorrow is that sorrow over sin that's vertically oriented, um, when we grieve over our sin because we understand that our sin grieves God and we do not want to grieve Him, we do not want to grieve His person. Uh, Paul speaks of a worldly sorrow over sin. A worldly sorrow leads to death, Paul says. A worldly sorrow is nothing more than uh, a guilty conscience. Uh, a worldly sorrow is nothing more than what would happen to me if my sin were exposed? What would be the consequences to me? And so we try to cover up our sin, not because we grieve over it, but because we don't want the consequences of it. And so we cover up our sin, but secretly, if we could still get away with it and nobody would know about it, we would run right back to it. Um, if that's the state of your heart, then you're, you're apart from Christ. You're not saved. Um, you know, it is good and it is right to warn people to flee from hell, warn from them to flee from the wrath to come. But just as much as we should want a Savior from hell, we should want a Savior from our sin. And there's a lot of people who want a Savior from hell, but they don't really want a Savior from their sin. If you want a Savior from hell and not a Savior from sin, then you have a Savior from neither. So I, I don't know exactly what was behind the question or if right. I, uh, so I, anyway, I did the best I could with, with that. But Some people just hold on to stuff from their past that Christ has forgiven you for or things that weren't your fault to start with and we're ashamed of what was done to us. Um, again, you know, what I say, if, if you are a survivor of any kind of victimization, um, you have nothing to be ashamed of. It wasn't your fault. Right. It's totally the other person's fault. Um, I have a, a whole nother talk uh, that I have on that, but what I would say is if everything, reiterate everything Justin said, if it's your sin, that's that you're ashamed of. But Jesus bore our shame on the cross. And, and that's what I want to keep reiterating. You, if there is no condemnation, he bore our shame. You know, he became shame, you know, in that sense. But shame is also a good thing. You know, I like for my daughters to have shame in the way they dress, right? So. So, you know, that, that's a positive thing. Does so, that have anything to do with what you do for a living? That you're possibly, concerned? yes. <laughs> um, and so, and so um, but, but, but again, understand if, if you're feeling guilt for something that happened to you when you were 10 years old, you know, or 12 years old, or the way, you know, your behavior is, you don't have to feel that way. You don't have to feel that way. Well, let me ask you this because this is part of the question. It said, 
suffering equals shame. So, and then uh, fear equals shame. So, does suffering it, it, does suffering always bring about shame? Should it should it be something that we're uh, you know that fear would be shameful as well? Uh, I I don't know what the person meant by suffering equals shame because that's just not true. Suffering does not necessarily equal shame. I mean, uh, all of us suffer. That we that's what we've been spending the weekend talking about. So, uh, suffering does not. There's not a direct correlation there. Suffering equals shame. Um, so I don't know. I think there's something behind the question that I'm just not understanding. From maybe you know, I'm embarrassed because I can't deal with suffering, you know, in, in the way that others deal with it, um, or I'm, I'm, I'm my anxiety and my fear. I suffer from anxiety and fear, and maybe I shouldn't. You know, that's that's another element to it. Mm-hmm. Well, let, let me ask you this as well as a follow-up: is you know, the, the, there is becoming this new phenomenon where everyone sees everyone else's posts like on social media and they think everyone else's life is great mine stinks type of mentality where people are not posting i mean even people that think well my life stinks because everyone else's posts are good they don't post their, that my life stinks they post all the good things in their own life so it's like this false uh that a uh, false uh, this facade we put up for the world um is it that this facade that we're seeing in others, we think they got everything together when really everything's falling apart in my life and we don't see that it's falling apart in theirs? Well, how about, I mean, we all have those <clears throat> friends who post too much information. And I, I mean, Yes, Frank. I, <laughs> every time you go somewhere. Yeah, no, not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I actually stopped. Man. Um, but, uh, um, but not when he goes for sushi. <laughs> one of the... Uh, but. We, we have a family member. Think about the people in your life who post what's really going on in their life. How do we treat them? How do we feel about them? What in the world? I can't believe they post something like that. But if they were posting, you know, use your quote, rainbows and unicorns. Oh, uh, sunshine, lollipops, and unicorns. I yes. Think. Uh, sunshine, lollipops. We, we, we like our friends to post that kind of stuff, right? <laughs> we don't like it when they post, me and my wife just had this terrible fight and she threw me out of the house. I was like, why aren't you telling me that? I don't want to know about that. i got my own problems. All right. So I'm sure that if if Frank did not put this question in, he made he asked Brian to do it for him. Uh, because where did, has, where's Pastor Joe? Did this he, has yeah. I don't know where uh, he, he uh, went to. Huh? He, yeah. He's, he he's got. He, uh, he didn't he, want to answer it. He's turning sixty. They're having a birthday party uh, for him tonight. He, he's in. A, he's. Go, I think he's got enough depression. Um, <laughs> he he was like kind of snuck up on him all right so he, i i could just i know this so i'm gonna ask this one of justin this has nothing to do with the guy uh, who are the nephilim oh. <clears throat> i don't know now if you have the the good traditional jewish answer to that i'll you know we can agree if if not and you side with frank we have to throw you out no <laughs> yeah I've, I've heard different uh different views and uh he's I, not coming to your defense frank i, I don't know what frank's position is so. It's not Andrew's of flying demon babies. <laughs> Andrew believes in flying demon babies. I'm just saying. Flying demon babies? He believes that Nephilim are the flying demon babies. That's what Andrew believes. I have never believed that. <laughs> <laughs> we are going to do a podcast one of these days with Frank on this on, on Genesis 6 and who are the Nephilim. And you can see how this one's going to go. I, I, I did want to, if there was ever a time that I wanted to record a conversation that I had with Frank, it was on who are the Nephilim, because I was cracking up as trying to give answers. We disagree, but it was it was hard to argue against him just because he made me laugh so hard. 
Can I can I answer kind of a, a question tangentially related to that? Sure. Okay. Just dealing with spiritual warfare in general, uh, I would recommend a really good book to you entitled Truth or Territory, A Biblical Approach to Spiritual Warfare, Truth or Territory. It's written by my pastor, Jim Osman, O-S-M-A-N, Truth there's, there's or Territory. There's a Osmond, right? No, there's no, no. <laughs> O-S-M-A-N. Is he a Mormon? What? <laughs> Truth or territory? Truth or territory? Is he a Mormon? Uh, does, no. he sing, does he sing really well? No, no. no he doesn't. No. Jim, um, yeah, he's got a couple other books. I will, I will not publicly or privately admit to reading them, but I, I do recommend it. But Yeah, it's a it's, uh, very good book. He, he takes all of these common practices of supposed spiritual warfare like binding Satan, rebuking Satan, uh, breaking generational curses, praying hedges of protection, territorial spirit, spiritual mapping, all this kind of nonsense. And he just breaks it apart biblically and, and shows that that is not what spiritual warfare is about. You know, all these people going around binding Satan, somebody sure keeps letting them back out. You know? It's the flying maybe, demon babies in it, Andrew. Maybe... Maybe you ought to go find the fellow who keeps letting him back out and bind him first. <laughs> so, um, but anyway, it's, it's, it's a really good book. And, and as the title of the book implies, Truth or Territory, real spiritual warfare is not about taking territory back from Satan. It's a battle for truth. It's a battle for men's minds. Uh, real spiritual warfare happens when your pastor gets up and exposits God's word on Sunday morning. That's spiritual warfare. Um, so... Anyway, so it's an excellent book. Yeah, Jim, Jim has three books out. I joke with him because I guess he, he forgot to pronounce my, the T at the end of my name, so I added D on the end of his. Um, oh. And uh, <laughs> I, I, did, I, I did interview him for my podcast, and, and that's why I, I, he was asking me about whether I – he was like, you didn't read my books because I was busting on him a bit. And, and so now I've decided I will, public, I will not publicly admit to it. And he, so he's, he wants me to write an endorsement for the next book he's writing. So I, um, I said, well, I'm going to write an endorsement saying, I haven't read this, but. <laughs> All right. Uh, last question we have, and uh, Justin, this one's prime more one for you. As a speaker and evangelist, how do you make money to live and provide for a family? Uh, and then it says, or what ways have you seen? So I guess... Uh, I guess for you it would be more as a speaker and evangelist. How do you make money for for you, or your family, and I guess Frank, you could answer the you know what, what other what other ways have you seen after he answers? Well, I promise people the more money they give to my ministry, the more uh, the bigger harvest they will receive. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, um, my ministry. Uh, has I, I guess kind of uh, three ways of financial support. I'm 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 a member of my home church, but I'm not paid by my home church. My home church doesn't. They support me in what I'm doing in that they agree with it, but they I, they don't pay me anything. Uh, my ministry is supported financially three ways. Uh, when I travel to a church and speak, they'll either do a, a love offering or an honorarium of some kind, you know, and. Uh, my standing policy is that I do not have a fee for preaching. I don't even ask about that. Uh, I just kind of trust the church or conference or whatever. Whatever they want to do is fine. So uh, I'm not one of these guys that says, I, I won't come and preach unless you guarantee me X number of dollars. I just so whatever. you'll come to my church then? Is I will. What you're saying? I will. Okay. Of course I will. 
So uh, will you come? Will to. you w- come to his academy and train? Is is uh, his, aca- martial, his arts martial arts academy? academy. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm really renowned for my martial arts skills. <laughs> uh, so um, yeah, that's that's one thing. But I don't have a set fee, so whatever the church wants to do is fine. Um, then I, I do have there's. Uh, there's a handful of people that support my ministry on a monthly basis. You know, just uh, uh, my ministry is a 501c3. So just as when you give money to your church, it's tax deductible. Same thing with my ministry. So I have some people that support it on a monthly basis, and that's a huge, huge part of it. Um, and then sales of my resources. Um, that's a that's the third. Now, even with that, um, another standing policy I have is, is if anybody cannot afford my resources and they need them, then that's fine. Help yourself. I give them away to people that cannot afford them. I don't ever want money to be a hindrance uh, to anyone. And um, so uh, that's it, I guess. Um, well, there, that's the short version of it. I think there's it. a fourth way. There's a fourth way. Because sometimes, so sometimes what Justin does is he tries to give away materials. And, and it, it gets some people like me to be like, no, I'm going to pay for the materials. So if you really want to have some fun, take out your phones. No, this is a real website. No, seriously, this is a real website. You want to see him turn red? Go to justiniwin.com. See, another way that just I didn't write this question, but I'm going to totally use it. You can donate for my bragging rights because he tried to give me DVDs. And so I have tried to get thousands of people to donate to Justin's ministry, and they put hashtag Justin I win when they donate. We actually created a whole page, and we've had a battle. You could see me at ShepCon last year winning. I, if you look at the picture... Frank will tell you it was not a proper rear naked choke that I had Justin in. The elbow wasn't facing down. It wouldn't have hurt him. But then you'll see him choking me out. That could have hurt. It looked serious. We haven't finished the tie. But there's a donation page. There's actually a whole video that explains the whole backdrop. And, and I get, we get people to donate to Justin. This is the crazy ideas I come up with. You don't want to get into a, a back and forth with me because I'm going to win. I'm going to get the bragging rights on this one. I get everyone to donate to him. <laughs> so that's the fourth way. That's that's the fourth way, yeah. <laughs> Andrew's very generous. What about, what about that lady that left you the oil well in Texas? <laughs> oh, you, you weren't supposed to say no, that I'm out sorry. loud. So. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, it's a... Uh, <laughs> no, that, that's, uh, a true, it, that's a true story, by the way, that some <laughs> minister got left an oil well in Texas. Well, it wasn't this minister. Yeah, sure. no, but, uh, I thought you were, you, saw, you were thinking a lady in Texas gave him some, some mineral oil or something. <laughs> You don't sell prayer cloths? I gave that up. Oh, okay. it, it, <laughs> Frank, you have anything you want to add to that? Or? No, I, I, I will say that there are some of you that uh, God's given the uh, gift of generosity to, and that um, you you can give more than you you have, you know, a lot of times that you need. And there are people out there that, that do that, you know, that come across that, that do that. I pray for the, that the gift <laughs> that uh, God gives me more than I need, um, and and He asks a lot of times. Um, so um, there are, there are many ministries that um, I donate to, and I, I try to on a regular basis. And if you're if you're you have the ability to give, you know, I, I found if I could spend twenty five dollars a week on Starbucks, I could do that for ministries. Well, you should repent of the Starbucks. Yeah, well, no, I'm not. 
But uh, anyway, anyway, the, yeah. Yes, yeah, she's listen to the lady in front, Duncan. Well, we'll, we'll, we're done, right? Yeah. (laughs) I I, I will say this, you know, seriously, um, you know, people often think, I mean, Striving for Example, Striving Fraternity, for example, is pretty much funded for the most part by five people. We have a a lot of donors, but, you you know, we would prefer to have a whole lot more smaller donors than just a few bigger donors. You know, we have we have one donor that just the business didn't turn so well and had to cut back, you know, a thousand dollars a month. That takes a huge hit in the budget, you know. But if you have a lot of people giving five dollars a month, not so bad. And actually I guess I guess I should I forgot to mention what we are <laughs> what we are offering uh for our donors is I was supposed to mention it last night. Well if you if you do sign up we gave you out those blue cards uh, those blue sheets for Striving Fraternity. If you become a monthly donor with Striving Fraternity, um, <clears throat> if you give as, as much as $2, which is still less than his Starbucks coffee, okay, $2 a month will send you a, a copy of the book, What Do We Believe? Okay, after about three months, we send those out. If you give $5 a month, which is still less than one cup of his Starbucks coffee, we'll send you both these books. What do they believe? What do we believe? Uh, $10 donations will get you uh, those two books plus On the Origin of Kinds. A $20 donation gets you those three books plus Sharing the Good News with Mormons. Uh, that's what we're giving away for people who donate monthly because we actually want to encourage more smaller donors. Um, and what we're doing for people who give $25 a month, this, this is an insane idea that I have. I don't have lots of ideas, do I, Colleen? Colleen has a whole file called Andrew's Ideas because she can't keep up with my insanity. Um <laughs> But the uh, she was actually going to rename that Colleen's Ideas and just put it that way she could say that I stole her ideas. Um, <laughs> but the uh, but if for twenty five dollars a month, what we're going to actually do is we're going to try to find a missionary because we've calculated that twenty five dollars a month would be what we need for one year would cover a missionary for buying them equipment and paying for the hosting for them to do a podcast. So instead of having a them send an email to their church, which Barely anyone ever reads those things anyway, okay? Have them come to the church and say, check out the podcast, and they can keep the church, the supporting church, up to date through a medium that they most people already are listening to. And so that's what we're looking to do with $25 a month donations. So it's kind of strange. If you give us $25, we're going to look for someone to give it away to. I don't have a really good business model, do I? <laughs> Especially you talking to Anthony. Yeah. <laughs> Anthony's made that quite clear. Yes. <laughs> the other board member. So I'll leave it to you guys. If you have any closing comments you want to make before we close out the conference. Not about Nephilim, Frank. <laughs> Go ahead. Um, I don't guess so other than I've really enjoyed being with you all these past couple of days. Thank you very, very much. I hope that this has been encouraging for you and edifying. Um, thank you very much for coming. If I can be of help to you in any way, please contact me. Let me know. I've got newsletters out there. I think we still have a few. Uh, grab one of those. All my contact information is there. So uh, uh, if you email me and I don't get back with you in a couple of days, email me again. It's okay. You're not going to bother me. I just sometimes get swamped and I'm traveling. It's sometimes hard to keep up. So if I, if you don't hear back from me, Shoot me another email and be fine, and I and I will. Thank you. <laughs> a man of so many words. Um, yeah, the the way to get hold of Justin is justiniwin.com. <clears throat> hey, I've gotten a lot of mileage out of that. Yes, 
you've gotten some good donations from that. Um, I'll remind you that we do have, because I forgot to mo- the Living Waters flash drives, uh, five movies, um, uh, I forget how many, like 100 hours of of sermons from, from the guys at Living Waters and uh, some of their videos, so there's that out there. Also, also on the back chair somewhere back there where my beautiful bride is sitting are the notes from Pastor Joe, if you want to grab those, and you are going to say something. Yeah, just you, you, Andrew saying flash drive reminded me, my flash drive's over there, and again, I'm not trying to sell you anything if money's but tight, buy just grab you one. It's fine. You don't even have to ask me. But um, uh, something else on that flash drive that may be of interest to some of you, I've got a number of series on that flash drive, but one of them is I called uh, Witnessing to the Witnesses. I had about a two-and-a-half-hour witnessing <coughs> encounter with two Jehovah's Witnesses. We sat down at a table as a husband and a wife team. The husband was an elder, quote-unquote elder at his quote-unquote church. But uh, for two-and-a-half hours, you hear me witness to these Jehovah's Witnesses, and you hear all their arguments, and you'll hear me answer from Scripture. So it's it's really kind of interesting. Uh, so if you'll listen to that next time a, a JW raps on your door, you'll be ready for him. So um, anyway. They don't come to my door anymore <laughs> yeah i don't they come don't to, come to mine anymore yeah. either it, it might have something to do with the Jehovah witnesses used to come to my door moved into to jackson down here and they i found out they used to come to my door every every week they came through my neighborhood because one of my neighbors was Je- his sister was jehovah witness and the first week they came when i was there i was so excited because my last house was marked so i got oh my god out my new world translation i was all excited talking to them next week when i saw them they went for my one neighbors and just skipped my house i was so bummed I grabbed a New World Translation. I ran up to a neighbor's house. I stood behind the Jehovah's Witnesses, and they just looked at me, and Pete opens the door. Hey, Pete, I'm a neighbor moved in next door. They're going to lie to you about the Bible. I'm going to correct it. Go ahead, guys. And they just looked at me, and they just left the door, and I went, bye, Pete. And they went to the neighbors, and they're going to gyms, and they're like, what are you doing? I'm just going to follow you. I'm not letting you lie to my neighbors. They avoided my whole street. My neighbors loved me for a little while until Christmas when I gave them all gospel tracts and a CD message of the gospel and a book, and then also they went, ah! But but at least Jehovah's Witnesses they don't come by. I actually I actually write to the Mormons and ask them to send a missionary. I do. I've been to Utah several times. I'm like, well, can we have a missionary come to your house, please? I really want to talk to someone, and they don't come. So Justin, can can Andrew tell the uh, telephone story from the airport? Oh yeah, that's but yeah. Well you okay. Okay, well, th- this gives you a little bit of the character of Justin Peters. Um, I don't know if you even listened to me talk with Chris Horns and I told, I told the son. Yeah, I didn't give all the details, but so Justin Peters was going through TSA. Any, any of you had that fun experience? It's a little bit harder when you're in a scooter, so it takes a little bit longer for things, you know, to get your stuff. So by the time he got his stuff, someone had taken his phone. Yeah, his cell phone, they stole it. Now he, he got it back, okay? It, it was, you know, his wife was like figuring out where it was and, they were able to, so they got it back, and Justin was very, very upset that they didn't get the guy. Now, you're thinking that he was upset because he wanted the guy to maybe get arrested, get caught. No. Justin was upset because he didn't get an opportunity to share the gospel with him. And, and Justin, because this was like shortly after that happened, that you called me, and he was like, he goes, he goes, he was like, I wanted to, sh- I was like, as soon as he said where, what gate they thought he was at, I rushed over there because I wanted to share the gospel. And I'm thinking, okay, what am I going to say? Like, yeah, have you ever told a lie? Yes. What would that make you a liar? Have you ever stolen anything? God, what am I saying? Of course you have. <laughs> How many of us would be more concerned with sharing the gospel with a guy that just stole our phone and returned it? Like, rather than just going, hey, get him locked up. But that's Justin. 
Well, yeah, I, I mean, I thought it would be what a you know the the ball is sitting on the tee waiting to be knocked out of the park. What a great opportunity to share the gospel with someone. But um, yeah, I never could drag him down. It's in Miami Airport, so it's better than the dog story. Um, well, we're not oh. going to tell that one. <laughs> or or why Matt Slick calls you Batman? I got to show you the picture, by the way. All right, he is he's spiritual Batman. All right, so with that, um, we're going to stick around for a little while in case you guys have follow up stuff. I know that some of the ladies got uh, some Q and A in in the ladies uh, breakout there. Um, but if you guys do have more questions. What we're going to do is just, uh, before you bombard Justin with questions, give him a chance to get down to his throne of pride. By the way, if you could just look at the, look at the name on the chair. I've dubbed that the throne of pride. It says pride on his chair. I'm just saying. I mean, he didn't put it there. It's the manufacturer, but. <laughs> I, so, <laughs> so. Yeah. <laughs> I did tell you the Q and A becomes where you get to see some of the speakers lighten up, right? So uh, let me let me close in order of prayer before you um, ask Justin any questions. Give him a chance to get down to his his scooter there, get a little bit set up and comfortable. Frank, you can just attack up here. Feel free, and uh, we'll have we're going to keep some materials there. Um, <clears throat> we didn't do any. I know Denise, you we're going to give some giveaways. I forgot. But um, they're they're having a sale at the at the Jason Lyle table, so check that out because you may not get those prices again. Um, and the prices that we have for our books where we have the bundles only are when we're at speaking events and conferences. Um, if you do, if you are interested in having either Frank or myself or Anthony speak at your church or at your, um, you know, at a conference, you can let us know. Like Justin, we have no speaking fee. Do me a favor, just push that. Push his chair down so he can get up. Push him down? No, the chair. Oh, the chair. <laughs> Frank, you want to push Justin Peters down? Can, tweet that out. <laughs> I said push that down, not push him down. <clears throat> the difference a word makes. Wow. You, usually you can go to the jails to get in touch with Frank. No, actually... Um, if you go to strivingforeternity.org, there is a contact page. If you if you contact that, if you direct the question to Frank, that gets that will get forwarded over to Frank. Um, and then you know if he wants to share his personal information with you, no, <laughs> no. But we, yeah, you can you can always get in touch with any one of us there. And um, if uh, if we could do anything to be a blessing to you, your church, we don't have a speaking fee. One of the things I think I said yesterday with Striving Fraternity is we actually target smaller churches to do our weekend seminars. We don't, we, I mean, we're not opposed to going to the bigger churches. It's just that the smaller churches are the ones that are always struggling to have good teaching come into their church. And so that's what our monthly supporters let us do because we have monthly supporters. We can go in and take a, you know, pay for our own travel to come into places. Uh, Justin and I are both headed to the Philippines in two months. Um, and, the, the arrangement with them is they, they're taking care of everything for Justin and I once we land in the Philippines. Justin and I have to pay our own way to get there. Uh, there's a huge issue with New Apostolic Reformation, Catholicism out there. Uh, and that's where his ministry and Striving Fraternity, it funds us to be able to do these things. Um, and the tickets aren't cheap. They're, I think, what would we figure like is like almost 5,000 for a ticket or something like that? 4,000, I think. The, it, it was, or maybe it was five thousand for the two of us. Might have been five thousand for the two of us. Yeah. So, uh, 
So, I mean, those, those things cost, and, and we just, you know, both ministries are like-minded that it will absorb that cost. We don't care because the teaching is more important. So if you have a small church, you, you want to have us come in, have Justin come in, um, we're willing. So let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we're, we're grateful that you give us your word, first of all, that will help us through times of suffering, struggles, trials, that we have something that's an absolute standard to put a firm foundation on because we know that it sources you who cannot lie, who is good, just, right, and holy. And so we can, we can look to your word as the ultimate way that we have objectively to look at in this world. We know we have what it teaches us, what you did on the cross. That's our ultimate salvation. And the, as we've heard this weekend, that is what we rest in ultimately to know this life that is just passing is nothing, but we have eternity with you, not in heaven, not with, without sin, flesh, stained bodies, without uh, bodies that have no more ailments, but to be with you. And Lord, we also thank you because you give us your Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit indwells each and every one of us that knows you, that illuminates and teaches us your word and applies it to our lives so that we can live through this life with all the struggles and sufferings and know that we have a firm foundation and a, and a salvation with a true Savior. Lord, we ask that you would be with uh, Justin tomorrow as he's going to be preaching at Master's Church that uh, you give him safe travels home. Also think for Frank as he leaves tomorrow morning. We also want to lift up Lord Colleen to you as she's going to be visiting some family in the area that there's some, some sh- issues going on and struggle that she'll, that she has. We ask, Lord, that uh, you will keep them safe and that you bring them home safely. We are grateful, Lord, for the body of Christ, that we as your children can gather here. And just the, the conversation around the fellowship times, the one anothering that's been going on, the encouragement, and, and the bearing of one another's burdens. This is what the church is, is about. Lord, may we not just leave here without remembering what we've learned, taking it with us, taking it back to our churches, and seeking to implement so that we would be more like you because we attended this, this conference this weekend. Help us, Lord, to be sanctified even through our suffering. We thank you for it in Christ's name. Amen.